Thank you for checking out the City Church Podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know you are loved. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you. Good morning again. Did you all know that this week is Volunteer Appreciation Week? Well, let me inform you. It is Volunteer Appreciation Week, and we have some of the best volunteers out there. So if you volunteer here at the City Church, if you are part of our city team anywhere, would you just please stand to your feet this morning? Be bold. Don't be shy. Anybody on the city team, stand up. Awesome. What a great looking group of people volunteering here at the church. These are the guys that make service happen here every week in the city church. It's a great group. And so we celebrate uh, you and thank God for you. And what's great about this group, the city team, it's wide open. You can join. It's not a closed group. And we encourage you, if this is your home church, uh, come early, stay a little bit late, join the city team. It's a great way uh, for you to take up your commitment level here at the church. Um, Jessica, are you here? Jessica is our volunteer coordinator. She's waving her hands wildly at the back. So if you ever have any questions about volunteering, what it means, what it would look like, go see her after the service. She will be out there in the lobby, and she will be happy to answer any questions that you have about volunteering. Uh, specifically, you want to emphasize our Easter services. Like the girls said, we've got three services coming up on Easter, 10, 12, and 2. Uh, we need some help in our 2 o'clock service um, in City Kids specifically. So if you are an approved worker, uh, please go to guest services after service or reach out to Jessica. You have her email address. Uh, we would love to get you serving on Easter. It's a great way uh, for us. There's going to be a lot of people coming. Um, So if you are able to help us at the two o'clock service, you know, if you went to brunch instead of lunch, you can serve at the two. So there, I just helped you organize your Easter. Uh, But please, if you're able to help us on that day, you can either sign up at guest services or you can reach out to Jessica. All right, we are in week two of a series that we have called uh, Jesus in the Now. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we started last week just talking about the idea of this series is that, you know, we have the historical Jesus in the Gospels, in the Bible, um, a great detailed story of his life and ministry. And sometimes we can just sort of leave Jesus in history, so to speak. Um, But we know that from the scripture that God is with us by his spirit, that the spirit is the spirit of Christ. And Jesus is the express will of God in the earth. So we have some great continuity in the Godhead. And so God is showing up in his life by his spirit. Um, And so what we want to do is manifest Jesus in our lives, bring Jesus into the now by what God is doing in and through our lives today and every day, and not just here at church, but as us as individual Christ followers, um, as we follow the word of God, and last week we talked a lot about that, how Jesus is the bread of life. In other words, the thoughts and ideas that we have from God in the life of God. We want to express those in our life today and not just leave the Word of God in the Bible, but actually be living out the Word of God, that we want to um, show Jesus to the world. So Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Brethren. So what does that mean? That he, um, for all of us, that the will of God for all of us is to become more and more like Jesus, not just stay the same. And, and we all have people that maybe we look like or sound like from our family, and, and those are good things. And, you know, I, I, for all of you young people out there, you know, you will swear that you will never be like your parents. But as soon as you have kids, you will hear yourself say things to your children and you'll be like, oh my goodness, that sounds so much like my dad or that sounds so much like my mother. It is inevitable. You cannot resist it. You will be like your parents in some respect. But we just don't want to stop there in life. We don't want to just be like our parents. The will of God for us is to be conformed to the image of Christ. This lifelong journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. John chapter 17, verse 3 says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus is commenting on this idea of eternal life, that it isn't just a length of time. He's not just saying it's this long, but he's defining it with a quality of life, and he's defining it specifically with a relationship. This is eternal life, that you would know God and Jesus Christ. So that I would know God, that I would actually have a relationship with God for myself. And when I know Jesus, and when I know God more and more, that who Jesus is can be reflected in my life, and I can bring Jesus in the now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He surely will do it. Your whole spirit, soul, and body. That's all of you. So our our relationship with God, yes, it's spiritual because God is a spirit. But it affects, our relationship with God affects every part of our lives. It affects our spirits. It affects our thinking. It affects our decision making. And then it will show up in our lives. It will be embodied in us. And we will live out the ways of God. So as we move forward to Easter, as I said last week, we're just going to be talking about Jesus uh, for this whole series. And what we're going to be talking about today is something specific to the Christian faith. It is grace. We're going to be talking about this idea of grace. Now, what separates Christianity from all the other world religions is this idea of grace. And if it wasn't for grace, all we would have, just like every other world religion, would be some sort of moral code, some sort of life teaching that we would do, a a code of conduct that we would adhere to, that maybe one day God would accept us, and maybe one day we'd be good enough in God's eyes based on following this code, or if we don't follow the code, God doesn't like us. And if If somebody doesn't follow the code, we hate them because they don't do our code. But within the context of Christianity, within the context of Scripture, is this idea, this really big idea of grace. John chapter 1 verse 17 tells us, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So through Moses, Moses gave us the law, but then through Christ, what do we have? We have this idea of grace and truth. So I want us to be, for those of us in the room today that are Christ followers, I want to be reminded of this idea of grace. 
And maybe you're here this morning and you don't follow Jesus. Maybe somebody brought you today and you're, you wouldn't say, you know what, I'm a Christian. Um, this message today is especially for you and it will help you understand about the goodness of God, about God's love for you and what God has done for us. So the question is, how is it that we have a relationship with God? This is the big idea behind grace. And the only way we have a relationship with God is by grace, that Jesus brought this idea into the world. Moses gave us the law. But then Jesus gives us grace and truth. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to churches and individuals, we have uh, 13 of the Apostle Paul's letters and at, at the beginning of every one of his letters, he mentioned this, mentions this idea of grace and truth. We're just going to read one such example this morning in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servant of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So where, where does grace come from? Paul is telling us grace comes from God, that God gives each one of us grace. He wanted this church to know that God gives us grace. The reminder is there. So what does grace mean exactly? Now, the definition of the word grace, we've all heard this definition, or maybe we haven't heard it. It means unmerited favor. In other words, I don't merit something I don't do something well enough or good enough, but then somebody still does a favor for me. All children get unmerited favor. I had, I was was texting my, my daughter yesterday who was away at university with the phone that I pay for and the school that I'm paying for. And she had her school banquet on Friday night, you know, and I saw some posts and they were having a fun. So I'm like, messenger, I'm like, hey, did you have fun at the banquet? The response I got was, don't have time to talk, see you later. <laughs> On the phone that I'm paying for, all of the time, don't have time to talk. She is a recipient of grace, she just has no idea yet. <laughs> And this is also true for all parents. You, you don't know, even if you didn't have the best of parents, you don't know how amazing your parents were until you have a child. And then you're like, I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm so sorry, Mom. I, I, Father's Day is actually important. Mother's Day, oh my goodness. We, we get this picture of how uh, amazingly gracious they were to us, even though we didn't deserve so many things. Unmerited favor. All of the activity of God toward man can be defined as grace. So we know that God is a healer. We see this in the life and ministry of Jesus, that God gives us forgiveness, that God gives us his wisdom, that he gives us mercy. He gives us everything that we need for life. Now, why does he give us all of those things? Because he is a gracious God. It's not something that happens on our part, something we do, and then maybe we qualify for healing, or maybe we qualify for forgiveness based on something I do or don't do. No, it is 
unmerited favor, that all of the activity of God towards man can be defined as grace, that grace is a free gift, not something that I can pay for. Grace is also divine, divine influence on the heart and its reflection in the life. So when we really understand what grace is, it won't just stay here on the inside of me. It will actually be reflected outside of me to other people, Jesus in the now. That God gives me grace through Jesus, and then it's going to be reflected in my life. It will actually show up in my day-to-day living. Divine grace is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. So as we read through the Gospels, we can see the grace of God. Grace is also a favor without the expectation of a return. I'm going to do you a favor, but you don't have to do anything back for me. I'm I'm not doing this for you, so you will do something back for me. This is what grace is. Grace is nothing deserved, nothing achieved. That we don't enter into a relationship with God by achieving something. And then we also don't maintain our relationship with God by achieving something. By achieving some version of Christianity. Doing something outward that that might look like a Christian thing to do. We don't maintain our relationship with God by doing a bunch of outward things. Jesus had an interesting experience with a guy we call the rich young ruler. And we could see this interaction that Jesus had with him, that that Jesus really got down to the heart of the matter of his life and what was going on on the inside of him internally. We can read it here in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And it says, And he was setting out on his journey, and a man ran up to him and, and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. What must I do? What must I do to justify my existence? What must I do to justify myself before God? How, what are the ways that I can act for God to accept me? How can I live forever with you, God, based on something that I would do? He's asking a very specific question. Verse 18, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Jesus is setting this guy up. And then the guy answers, and he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Here's, here's all the laws. Here's all the Old Testament laws. This, this, this. And what does the guy answer? Yep. I am good. <laughs> Eternal life is coming my way. I have kept all of these rules, Jesus. I'm going to set you up the same way. Have you ever met a good Christian? Or, let's personalize it, are you a good Christian? Now, I have grown up in church, been in church, I'm 49 years old, I've been in church 49 years, nine months, whole existence. 
Now, when we say the term good Christian, if you are a church kid, you know what that means, right? People that would do Christian things. You know, when they greet you at church, they know the Christian-sounding things to say, bless you, brother. <laughs> they could sound like a Christian. They could, you could throw them in any context. They can dress the right way to fit in with this Christian group. We could say the lingo. We could do Christian stuff. I could say to you, been in church my whole life, I have gone to Bible school, friends. Not only that, <laughs> I'm a pastor. I could say all of these things would make me good before God. I do actually pray. I do actually read my Bible. My, my wife and I tithe every week. We give our lives here at the church. Could all of those things qualify me for eternal life? Couldn't I answer to Jesus? Here, here's all the things. Here's my resume. Here's my Christian resume, Lord. Here's all of the things that I've done. He says, I, I, I've done all the teacher. I have kept all of these things from my youth. Verse 21. And Jesus looking at him loved him. I love that that phrase is in here. Jesus loved him so much that he was going to speak something that would go right down to the heart of the matter of his life. And this story isn't actually about money, even though this guy is rich. And we're going to see something that Jesus says to him. It actually has to do with this man's heart. Jesus looking at him and said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Now, the reason I say that this story is not about money because Jesus had interactions with other rich people in the scripture and this wasn't his pat answer for rich people. All rich people don't think exactly the same. And by the way, you're rich people. Did you know you're rich people? Someone's like, I'm not rich. If you have a part-time job in Canada, you are part of the 10 to 15% wage earners in the world. Did you know that? Are you grateful this morning? So this wasn't a pat thing, a pat answer that Jesus gave to all rich people. This wasn't the point of the story. He was actually dealing with Jesus. He loved him and he said something specific to him. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Why were the disciples amazed at his words? Because we see all through the scripture, all through the Old Testament, that God is a God of blessing, that God is actually a God of provision. So they're confused by this whole interaction that Jesus is having. And also, some of Jesus' disciples were business owners. So they're, they're a little bit confused by this whole thing. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, uh, then who can be saved? In other words, this is impossible. This doesn't actually make sense. Because in, in one sense, God is providing all of these things for us. And then he's saying... How we can't be saved if we're blessed. And then he's blessing us and he's telling us we can't be saved. 
Jesus wasn't actually talking about resources. He was talking about his heart. What did it sound like when Jesus asked him the question? He said, here's this and this and this. And he says, I have kept all of these things. I, I have done all of these things. I've done all the right things. I've avoided all of the wrong things. And I've done all of the right things. And based on that, surely I can inherit eternal life. So the problem wasn't the money, the problem was his heart. The problem was, we could coin it, we could say it's like arrogance, it's pride. Me, I can qualify for eternal life. I can qualify for a relationship with God. Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With man is it impossible, but not with God, for all things possible with God. It's impossible for me to do something to qualify for a relationship with God and then also to maintain it. See, this is the whole story of the book of Galatians. That they received Christ and then a bunch of people came in uh, to that region and said, hey, you received Christ, but you also need to keep the Old Testament law. And then Paul asked them the question, you know, you started out your relationship with God by receiving Jesus through faith, and now you're going to maintain your relationship with God by keeping the law? No, it is grace at the beginning, and it's grace at the middle, and it's grace at the end. The only way we start a relationship with God is by grace. The only way we maintain a relationship with God is by grace. It's unmerited favor. He offers it to us. We don't qualify for it, but he gives it to us anyway. The man asked the question, what can I do? And at the end of the story, Jesus says, it's impossible for you to do anything. But it's only possible with God. See, and this is what happens to a lot of people on the outside of Christianity looking in. They might say sometimes, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. I'm not, I'm not a good enough person. I have to be a good person first, and then God will accept me. Now, let me just say this. It's good to live a moral life. Can I get an amen? It's good to do good things. It's good to make wise choices. But we don't become a Christian by doing good things, and we don't maintain our Christianity by doing good things. It is only by grace. It's only a gift. And that's why we want you to invite friends to Easter. People who don't know, people don't have a relationship with God. Why? Because each one has been offered the same grace that you and I have already experienced. And God did not offer us grace by our own personal goodness. God didn't come to me and say, okay, Brent, you've grown up in church, you've gone to Bible school, and you're a pastor, here's some grace. No, he gives me grace based on Jesus, based on his own character and nature, not based on mine. 
Because my character and nature and your character and nature is not enough. Not enough to qualify for it. It only comes as a gift. Here's another story. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 says, And Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called, a, a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. It's tax season. Is everybody excited that it's tax season? You've done your, you've done your taxes yet? If you haven't, public service announcement. He said to Matthew, a tax collector. Now, tax collectors had their own category of negativity within the context of the scripture, that they were skimming off of the top of people's taxes. They would charge extra and take money for themselves. So they, people had a very low view of a tax collector. And Jesus said to the tax collector, come follow me. He didn't say to the tax collector, go become a good person and then you can follow me. He said to the tax collector, come and follow me. But Jesus gave grace to people who don't deserve it. That Jesus gives grace today to people who don't deserve it. Are there any recipients of God's grace in the room? Come on now. Now, what about the rest of you? You're like, no, I'm good. I am a good Christian. <laughs> I'm just good. I am good. I, 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 I am good. Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, it's possible. It's possible for me to have a relationship with God completely separate from what I've done and all the mistakes that I've had, all the mistakes that I've made, how is it? It's because of the offer of grace. How am I able to maintain a relationship with God? Is it because I'm a pastor and I read my Bible and I pray and we tithe? Is, it, is, is that how we maintain a relationship with God? No, it is only by grace. It's only a gift from God. Verse 10, and Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors, and it wasn't just one, many tax collectors and sinners. They came and they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. That the bad people were hanging out with Jesus. Can you believe this is in the scripture? And Jesus, Jesus didn't say, go and become a good Christian, and then you can come sit at my table. The tax collectors and the sinners were invited to Jesus' table. Now there was another group there. And when the Pharisees saw this, who were the Pharisees? The religious people. The people who knew the scripture. They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He said to the religious people, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That the religious people are the ones who were the ones looking at the tax collectors and the sinners and looking down their nose at them. Why? 
because the religious people were doing the religious things and they were avoiding the bad things. And based on that, they got proud. There's potential for all of us that have been at church for years and years and years and decades and decades and decades to get a little bit proud with all of our years of service. And then we could start to measure ourselves. We, we do all of these amazing things and then we're amazing, right? No, Jesus didn't come for the righteous. And what, what type of righteousness is he talking about? He's talking about self-righteousness. See, the Pharisees thought they were the right ones. They did the right things. And we, I, me, I, I do the good stuff. And we do the good stuff. And we, we are the chosen ones. It, it can start to sound like pride. And then when it's pride, that means it's based on you and it's not based on grace. But grace is better than pride. They, they were looking down their nose at other people. So we don't want to be the Pharisees. We want to be the ones that say yes to the grace of God as a starting point, as a maintaining point, as a finishing point of our relationship with God. It is all by grace. James chapter 4 verse 6 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Is there anybody in the room that needs grace? So what do we got to do? We got to humble ourselves. It's not about me and how amazing I am or what I've done or how many decades I have in the church game. It is all about the grace of God and God offers his grace to all. God offers his grace to all. And then I don't want to be part of that group that God is opposing. Who is God opposing? God is opposing the proud. What is the, what is the proud? Well, I don't, I don't need God. I, I'm so good on my own that I qualify for this relationship with God's pride. Humility says, God, I'm nothing. I have nothing without you. Because that's really the truth, friends. Even from the creation standpoint, we are singing about breath in our lungs. Now, I know that you're awesome, but you didn't self-manifest lungs. You didn't be like, uh, lungs, breathing. You didn't do anything to get lungs. You were given lungs. You can breathe. And a body that was given to you, it's all by grace. It's all a gift. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Not living under the weight of the law. What is the weight of the law? The weight of the law says, I, I, I can't actually qualify for a relationship with God. I'm not good enough. You aren't good enough. I'm not good enough. What do I want to live under instead? I want to live under grace that Jesus is the one that satisfied the law for me he's the one that did it see grace is free 
but it was very costly. It's free for us to stand under the grace of God. This is where God wants us to live. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. For it, it, it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. See, and right in this moment, I'm speaking to longtime Jesus followers in the room. If it's based on how amazing you are, it's no longer about the grace of God. And if it's based on you, then you want the glory. But we all know we don't deserve the glory, do we? Do you know yourself? Are you in the room today? Do you know yourself? Have you ever had one of those moments in life where you're like, you know, you sinned and you messed up and then you pray to prayer like this, God, I'll never do that again. Maybe some addiction, some problem, some difficulty, and you said to God, I'll never do that again. And maybe a week later or a month later, a year later, you found yourself doing that thing again. Why? Because of the insufficiency of your flesh. We don't want to base it on us. We aren't enough, but Jesus is more than enough. Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. For through the law I died to the law, so that I may live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. See, it's a wonderful thing to be able to spend time reading the Word of God. And it's a wonderful thing to pray. And it's a wonderful thing to honor God with your finances. And it's a wonderful thing to serve here at the church and in the community. But none of those things quali- qualify me for a relationship with God. Because if I'm putting credit in one of those things, then I'm nullifying what Jesus did on the cross. And I don't want to do that. It is only by grace that I start my relationship with God and I maintain my relationship with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin increased, grace is greater than that. That's why we don't have to be afraid to ask the worst sinner we know to Easter service. Why? Because God's grace is bigger than their sin. God's grace is bigger than my sin. God's grace is bigger than your sin. Grace abounds. It goes over the top. Grace abounds over sin. See, the question I have for you as we finish today is how much is something worth? How do we measure the value of something? Has anyone ever seen uh, the show on the History Channel? I think it's called American Pickers. It's about people who go in and they find antiques. I'm not much of an antique person. Don't care. My wife loves antiques. Just another way where we're different. Um, On this show, they go go into barns and they go into these places and they're like... they. They wade into junk. There's no other way I can describe it. 
They're like walking through junk and they're like in the bottom of some barn and they reach down into some deep dark hole and they pull out some dusty relic from 50 years ago. And they're like, oh my gosh, look at this. It's amazing. I'm like, what? It's a dirty piece of something that probably has rat poo on it. It's not really worth anything. They pull it out and then the person's barn that they're in is like, he's like, I'll give you 3,000 for it. What? I'm like, I'm not giving you a penny for that thing. What do you mean you're going to give them 3,000 for it? The value of something is decided based on what somebody is willing to pay for it. That piece of junk in the corner of a barn is not worth something to me, but it's worth something to somebody else. What, what was God willing to pay for you and I? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The scripture says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. See, you and I were the dirty, dusty relic in the corner of the barn, broken, thrown aside, cast aside. Nobody cared about us, but God reached down to us and said, you are of infinite worth. And he gives us his grace. We don't qualify for it. But he says to you and me, and he says to the people that are coming to our Easter service, you are worth my life. Now, I, I love you all this morning, and I'm grateful that you're a part of our church family. But my wife and I are not trading either one of our daughters for you. Love you. You're awesome. God's love. We can't even fathom it. I'm giving my best. I'm giving my all. I am coming to rescue you. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God this morning? Let's just pray. God, we are so thankful for your word today. We are so thankful that we can know you because of your grace. God, we depend wholly on your grace today. We don't depend on ourselves. We don't put our trust in ourselves. We put our trust in you for our today and our tomorrow and our eternity. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your support. If you want to connect with us, you can find us online at thecitychurch.ca.